Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode... Many of us will be missing the numerous farm shows and information meetings this winter and spring. These events were cancelled due to COVID-19 protocols. We always look forward to hearing from meteorologist Drew Lerner, who provides a glimpse into the weather for the upcoming growing season. Andrew was here today to share his thoughts on what's to come and take a look at some of the weather issues and other major growing regions and how that's affecting commodity markets. Over the last four years, more than 500 firefighters have been trained to respond to grain entrapments, whether it be on farm or at commercial grain terminals. The Canadian Agricultural Safety Association has provided 16 hours of training courses to over 30 fire departments in four provinces. It's a good start, but more needs to be done. Rob Gobey is CASA's Agricultural Health and Safety Specialist, and he will talk about the Bee Grain Safe program. And we'll also hear from a farmer who will share his own story of getting trapped in a grain bin of beans, the rescue, and his recovery. After the break, Drew Lerner. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarland. With me is Senior Meteorologist with World Weather, Drew Lerner. And Drew, doing my wrap-up interviews for 2020, I spoke to farmers from Alberta, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan. And it seemed like the theme was they all considered Harvest 2020 uh, an extra special gift. There were no major weather issues, and the harvest seemed to uh, move along quite nicely. Was was that the general case across the prairies this year? Most definitely, we did see a lot of improvement uh, across Alberta. Uh, you know, they they had three plus years of really bad harvest weather, and uh, we finally got one done uh, where we could, were able to get it all put away before. Uh, the cold came along. Not that it's been all that cold either. It's been a very different year, most most assuredly. But uh, yeah, the majority of Saskatchewan and Manitoba are certainly on board with that too. Uh, a really nice harvest season, uh, breath of fresh air, really. And you know, it's been such a challenge in the past uh, couple of years, just getting the crops in and getting them to get enough moisture and to get out of the fields. Uh, you know, last year, of course, we had uh, in 2019, uh, had an awful, just an awful harvest season. And uh, uh, I don't think we've had one that was quite so bad as that, uh, at least not in recent memory. And so this year, uh, this past autumn, it was so much better to be able to finish out without uh, any any kind of disruption. In fact, it was really a very pleasant autumn and it's still not bad out there now. (laughs) We've had some pretty decent weather, you know. Oh, for sure. And it's really helped to shorten the winter for those that don't like winter and have nowhere to go this winter. So uh, having to, you know, stick closer to home for those that uh, enjoy the traveling are are really enjoying a much milder season. When um, we look at uh, the prairies and some of the snowstorms that have come through, and there's been a few substantial ones, are there any regions in particular that are still needing that moisture in the form form of snow? Well, there's definitely uh, a large part of the prairies that still needs moisture. 
Uh, I don't know if it's necessary to have it right now, but we're certainly going to need it before we get into the spring growing season. Now, uh, a couple of those larger storms that you mentioned uh, certainly produced impressive amounts of snow, and that will manage to get into the ground at least to some degree for us to get started in 2021 on the growing season. But I think there is still a lot of concern about the deep subsoil moisture shortage that we have out there. Now, you know, if we have a typical spring season, we're going to get some timely moisture and, uh, you know, we'll be able to plant and move along okay. But I think there's quite a few areas out there in Saskatchewan, a few in Manitoba and some in southern Alberta that are still really nervous uh, about the approaching spring season and the ongoing dryness. You know, I find it absolutely fan. Uh, fan- <laughs> I find it very fascinating, so I'm trying to say, uh, how dry we have become in North America from the heart of the prairies through the entire western half of the United States and into Mexico. And this is a tremendous area of dryness. And I know the, the Canadian producers are very concerned about this, as are many folks in the western United States and even in Mexico. And having the La Nina event that we have underway right now uh, is really not offering us a tremendous opportunity for good moisture over these next few weeks. And so there's a lot of nervousness out there about how much of this dryness will still be with us when we crack into the spring season. And that is a viable concern. And even though we did have a a couple of nice storms that moved across the prairies, it'll help us get started. There's a tremendous amount of nervousness as to how long we'll be able to get along on that moisture uh, after the last couple of dry uh, summers that we've had. And we've been so blessed across the prairies um, with timeliness in precipitation. Who would have thought in the last couple of years that we would have come off with the kind of crops that we did uh, with what little rain we had. But, you know, we're running out of moisture to, to fall back on. And if we come into spring and don't have that moisture profile back into pretty decent shape, uh, there's going to be a lot of concern about what will happen as we move forward in time. So let's move forward in time. Long, long range. I know you love talking about forecasts months down the road. <laughs> and I know that you're asked to make these predictions. Um, so I'm going to ask you to do that again. So let's look at spring and summer and uh, talk about the prairies and how things are shaping up right now as, as you see it. Well, you know, we're, we're looking at all kinds of things right now. And certainly the, the dryness that I just mentioned is going to play a huge role. And just to remind everyone that uh, the uh, moisture content in the soil obviously has a lot to say about our crops, uh, how they're going to perform. Uh, but it has a lot to say about weather patterns down the road, too. If you come into spring, into the warm season, and you have a lack of moisture over such a large part of the North American continent, uh, you will automatically, regardless of what the prevailing weather pattern is, you immediately create an environment that favors more ridge building in the atmosphere. And I'm talking about high pressure aloft 
And if you get uh, into the growing season and you automatically have a little bit of a bias towards building a stronger ridge of high pressure, then obviously the potential for as time moves along for that ridge to become stronger is pretty real. And uh, so that's one thing we're really concerned about. We want to be able to par down this uh, droughty environment to help build a better profile in our soil, not only to grow crops, but also to feed back moisture into the atmosphere and help to perpetuate additional rain and thunderstorm activity during the warm season. So that's one thing we want to keep in mind while we look at some other things. Uh, We do have a La Nina event that's underway. Uh, This La Nina has been moderately strong. Now, uh, a lot of folks that are listening today are probably going, yeah, this ought to be pretty good. And the forecasters all predicted that we'd have a cold and wet winter across parts of the prairie as well. Where is it, right? So the the past few weeks have certainly been just the opposite. It's been dry and warm for the most part. You mentioned those those few snowstorms that were significant, and they were interesting events, and uh, if it hadn't been for them, we'd be in a real uh, dry mess. But the... um, the point here is that La Nina normally gives us that cooler and wetter tendency, and right now it hasn't been doing that. One of the reasons why it hasn't done that is because we've had this massive cold air mass over Russia, central and eastern Russia, and it has basically drained the Arctic of all the cold. Now, we've got the flow pattern that normally supports uh, the uh, cold and wet winter scenario, but we don't have the cold in the Arctic. So uh, we're, we're blowing the winds in the right direction, but there's no cold to, to blow into the region. Well, my point here is this. The cold air mass in Russia is now on the move. And, in fact, it has been for several days. Uh, we just saw some very cold air work its way through northeastern China. And the cold is going to race across the North Pacific now over these next few days. And we're going to see our weather pattern change quite a bit across the region as we go into the second half of next week. And uh, in the second half of the coming week, let me uh, Maybe it's better to just simply say it'll be mid-month that we'll start seeing the colder air coming around. Uh, So Canada will go into a little bit more typical La Nina environment for a while. This will favor colder air. This will give us uh, cooler conditions around in the eastern half of the prairies for a while. I don't know that we're going to necessarily see above-average precipitation, but as we get going forward through the balance of winter into spring, we'll have some cooler conditions to deal with in the eastern prairies. The western prairies will be still warm, biased, maybe not as far above-average as it has been. Precipitation will be restricted, though, as we go forward. So Alberta and uh, the central and western parts of Saskatchewan are probably not going to see large amounts of precipitation as we go forward through the balance of winter. So we're going to come into spring. And we're going to bring in some warmer weather. And as we bring in the warmer weather, we're going to still have some drier tendencies around. Uh, The La Nina pattern is expected to break down. As it breaks down, though, we will have a short-term period of better weather. And I think that we will indeed put some moisture back into the soil. Uh, But there's going to be a lot of concern when we come into those early days of March because we will not have seen a lot of precipitation around uh, in the previous weeks. And uh, so there's going to be a lot of concern, but I think we're going to end up seeing some well-timed precipitation occur across a fair amount of the prairies 
uh, in the early to middle part of spring. Now, when we get into late spring, we're probably going to see the, the tendency starting to change a little bit, and we'll have some drier bias conditions beginning to evolve late spring and summer. Uh, when I go back and I look at the 18-year cycle, which is uh, one of the uh, most important parts of our long-range outlook, I see a tendency here for drier biases uh, for parts of the prairies during June and July. Uh, in, in a couple of these years, it's either uh, it, it's uh, July and August, whereas in the others, it's June and July. But what I see happening more often than not is a tendency for below average precipitation during the heart of our growing season. So the, the spring precipitation is going to be critically important uh, for us. Uh, if we don't do well with spring precipitation, we're going to have a real problem with the summer weather because we're not going to have the moisture uh, out there to support our crops during the drier bias period. So this is a concern. And again, the, we, we've talked about La Nina. We've talked about um, the 18-year uh, cycle. And we have one other factor that's going to be playing a role, and that's called the Pacific Decadal Oscillation. It has to do with how much cool water we have off the west coast of North America. Right now, we have a tendency for that water to be cooler biased. And if that prevails, and it looks like it may, uh, we will end up helping to reinforce ridge building in the middle of North America during our summer. So now we've got the drought that we have to deal with. We have the 18-year cycle, which already is promoting a drier tendency in, in the summer, at least two out of the three months. And then we've got this specific decadal oscillation, which is going to help build a stronger ridge in North America. The end result of this is not a, necessarily a very pretty picture for a lot of us. And uh, we're going to be watching this real closely. Now, La Nina will probably go away. That's a good thing for us. If La Nina still sticks around, we may lose a little precipitation potential. Uh, so the bottom line here is that uh, we will do okay as long as we can do well with our rain in the spring. Uh, if we don't do well in the spring on rainfall, I'm afraid dryness will be back again. And it, the sad thing is, is this isn't just a Canadian prairies issue. It's a U.S. issue, too. And uh, there's potential that the U.S. will turn wetter in their spring uh, and then turn drier in their summer, too. And we could have a lot of dryness around in North America uh, during the heart of the summer season, which could really have an impact on prices and, of course, on production potential. And just touching on prices, um, you know, most commodity analysts are calling un this whole season unprecedented. Nobody could have imagined that prices would be uh, so high right now. But some of it is a result of weather concerns in other parts of the world. So what major growing regions are seeing the biggest concerns right now? Well, it's South America that's really center stage. That's the that's the only place in the world that produces enough uh, grain and oil seeds to throw market prices one way or the other. And really, it's a combination between the production potentials in South America and the, the big demand for grain coming from China. Uh, and the fact that uh, Brazil, uh, in particular, gave away all of its uh, uh, grain and oil seeds earlier on in the year, and so their their uh, short supply uh, is is notable right now. And the, the combination of limited uh, grain stocks uh, and being where we are in the growing season, and you know, there's a lot of demand for grain around, so the prices keep going up. Brazil had a very rough start to their growing season this year. 
uh, it was delayed. The rains were delayed by a good couple of months. And uh, in Brazil, they have such a long growing season that delaying their the start of their growing season by a couple months is not the end of the world. Not from a soybean perspective. That's the first crop that they produce. And that crop will usually perform well once it starts raining because their monsoon is very regular and no, most of the time. So it was real late getting started, but it's it's been real consistent here recently and will continue to be consistent. So the soybean crop in Brazil uh, did lose a little bit of its production potential uh, because of the delay in the start of the growing season. They are making back some of that, but it is going to be a smaller crop than what was originally suggested. So that has helped the fuel into the equation here for higher prices. And then across the fence is in Argentina, a much more serious problem with dryness seems to be present uh, they've been fighting dryness since day one of their growing season, and they're still dealing with it. Uh, Brazil's in much better shape now, but Argentina continues to struggle. There will be periods of rain that come and grow, go across uh, that country, uh, but all of it's pretty low volume. And uh, so they're, they're getting by on a very limited amount of moisture, and the crops are definitely stressed. Now, their crop season is pretty long, too. Uh, and they produce an early corn and an early sunseed crop, and those crops are really hurting. Their yields are going to be way down. Uh, they produce a, a, their primary soybean crop and the, their their late corn crop. Uh, it, it will still have potential to produce well as long as there's better rainfall coming up in late January and February. And that's where the big debate is in the marketplace right now. It's over whether or not they're going to get enough moisture in Argentina to hold that crop together. Uh, over the past week, uh, they, they went from extremely short soil moisture to a, a marginally adequate profile in the west. Uh, the east is still quite dry. And I think as we go forward through the next uh, uh, oh, next couple of weeks, we're going to see a mix of weather. We're going to first see a little bit of precipitation, a little relief to the dryness, uh, and uh, that may give the market a chance to take a little breather from the, the huge run-up. Uh, but it looks like Argentina may turn drier again when we get to late January and early February. And if that's the case, that'll be right in the midst of their reproductive season for these late crops, and there may be yet another leg up on uh, concern about the production. Drew, always great to talk to you, and we usually cross paths at one of the many ag meetings that usually go on in the winter and early spring, and so I guess we will just have to settle for the virtual visits, and uh, yeah. we hope that uh, things are well with you and, and you and your family are safe down in the States there. I appreciate it, and I miss all of you up there, and I, I do look forward to coming back. I, hopefully, it'll be a later this year, we hope. World Weather Senior Meteorologist Drew Lerner. After the break, the Bee Grain Safe Program will hear from a farmer who has had personal experience with grain entrapment and some of the organizations that are working to provide training for local fire departments. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Rob Gobe is the Agricultural Health and Safety Specialist for the Canadian Agricultural Safety Association. Rob, let's talk about the Bee Grain Safe program and why it was started. Every year across Canada, we're averaging between six and eight fatalities from grain entrapment. So 
because of a, a spike in grain entrapments in 2015, that's when we decided to partner up with the canola growers and other partners to get this Be Grain Safe mobile unit built. In addition to training for rescuers, uh, there is a producer awareness component. So most farmers don't even realize how quickly things can go wrong. It takes between three and five seconds to get trapped in flowing grain. So once you've sunk past your knees in flowing grain, you're basically stuck and you need to be rescued at that point. The odds of getting out on your own are pretty slim. And the deeper you go, the far less likely you are to get out on your own. Rob, so that's why there is an emphasis on having a communication plan in place in advance of entering any confined space like a grain bin. If you do have to enter a confined space and a grain bin is a confined space, you need by law to have procedures in place and you need to have trained people as well as someone who is just an observer who does not enter at all times. So you need to have that process in place to make sure that people come out in one piece. So it's that simple. Just think ahead. Thanks, Rob. Pammy in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, built a safety training trailer that is used to teach volunteer fire departments. Dealing with a grain entrapment is a difficult situation for rescue crews that usually handle things like fires or accidents involving vehicles. Alberta Canola Manager of Grower Relations and Extension is Rick Tellu. Uh, Rick, this is very specialized training. If you're a firefighter, whether it's in a city or a rural area, you are trained what happens when you arrive at a building on fire. You know how you're going to deal with the fire. You know you're gonna, how you're going to look for people. You arrive on the scene of a car accident. A car looks a lot like an SUV, looks like a truck. You kind of know what you're doing. You know when to use the jaws of life. Now you are called out to a farm, and it's a grain bin, and, but it's full of grain, or at least half full, so you've got to go in the top, and the hole is small, and it's dark in there and you can't get in there with all your equipment, which is a big part of the reason we want to do this training and try and make sure that there are more rural fire departments aware of what to do in this situation. Last month, the Canadian Canola Growers Association hosted an online presentation of the 2019 film Silo. It's set in the U.S. Midwest, and the film provides a dramatic account of the rescue of a farmer who is sucked beneath flowing corn and is trapped up to his chest. A similar situation happened in real life to Winkler, Manitoba area farmer. It was more than a decade ago, on August 17, 2010, but the memories remain for Randy Fraze. Fraze became trapped while cleaning pinto beans out of a hopper bottom bin. The edible beans were harvested very wet during the previous fall, and they were put in the bin in hopes that they would dry over the winter. Some of the crop was removed the following summer, but about 1,200 bushels of beans remained welded to the bin wall. Randy, let's talk about what happened that day. I understand a farm employee went into the bin to scrape the beans off and two other employees were outside of the bin to monitor the situation? We were in there for very long and about a third of the material let go. My employee got behind the side of the rocket aeration and I tried getting there as well but as I was going there some material hit my leg and I ended up 
in a sitting position with my thigh wrapped around one of these stanchions that holds up the rocket aeration. And with that, I was buried up to my chest. And not seconds after, another part of the wall let go. And before I knew it, I was buried about three, two to three feet under material. So the employee managed to free himself and was able to remove enough of the hardened beans so that you could breathe. They kept digging and they kept digging. That was my dad came and he came into the bin. He was still on the phone with 911. And shortly after, you could hear the sirens coming and they're still digging. And they got to a point where my dad was just wanted to get me out. And they tried pulling me and my leg was so compressed against the stanchion that I just I wouldn't move. And so they had to keep digging and kept picking. And finally, they picked away this chunk that was around my leg. And from underneath, one of our employees was digging from there. And I felt my foot free. And the two guys grabbed me, lifted me up. And I was standing. And I was standing by this aeration. And again, the stuff collapsed in around me. But what I didn't realize is there was still a third of the bin that was clinging to the wall, ready to fall at any moment. Okay, so that digging resumed, but with one of the employees trying to prevent any additional material from falling on him too. Finally got to a point where I was buried again about to my waist, and we knew we had to get me out. It was now or never, and I put my arms down as hard as I could, and the two guys, my dad, one of my employees, they lifted me out. And I could just, it was, it was slow, but I just sucked out and they pulled me out to the side and we grabbed the other guy and we sat to the side of the bin and not seconds after the rest of the material let go and just fell in. And it was like God's hand was on the bin and he placed it up there and he said, no, this isn't going to fall until we had moved out of the way and the material just fell in and I would likely would have been completely buried with one of my employees. Now, I understand that this whole process lasted about 45 minutes. What was your condition once you were freed and then transported to hospital by ambulance? I just started sweating. I started just the pain of everything of the, of the, from where my leg had been uh, trapped against the stanchion. I could just feel my body go into shock. So they rushed me to the hospital, and that's when I realized I almost died for a second time where my body had released uh, a lot of toxic into my blood and uh, I almost died of what they call a crush syndrome. Now you spent a week in hospital and several months recovering. Looking back, what lessons were learned following that incident? Every situation is going to be different but ours was very panicked. There's a lot of stuff going on and because this is something that happens that often, it doesn't happen often. Our employees were not trained for something like this the first responders were not trained at the time. Since then, the Winkler Fire Department has received a, a grain entrapment tube. They've had a bin donated to them that they can do practicing in. Winkler, Manitoba farmer Randy Fraze. He has spoken about his experience on a number of occasions, including during an event sponsored by the Canadian Canola Growers Association. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of January 4th, 2021. 
Well, to start 2021, all the commodity news was bullish, and the grain futures carried over where they finished off in 2020. Senior analyst with Exceed Grain Marketing Wayne Palmer said all the grain futures were trading at new contract highs and prices not seen in over eight years. Argentina was poised to ban all new corn and soybean sales until at least March, meaning all new sales would be flowing through the United States. Argentine and Brazilian weather remained the same as the previous week, hot and dry, which would result in compromised yields and significant loss of corn and soybean production. Canada's railways reported record levels of grain shipments. CP Rail said it moved a calendar year record of 31.32 million tons of Canadian grain and grain products in 2020. CP Rail had added 3,700 of its commitment for 5,900 hopper units. Meanwhile, CN Rail shipped a record of over 2.8 million tons of grain by rail in December, bringing the volume from the 2020-21 crop year. To date, to 14.5 million tons, it exceeded the previous record pace volume by nearly 2 million tons, or over 15 percent. Cargill announced it was slowly resuming operations at a beef plant in Guelph, Ontario. The company temporarily closed its Better Beef plant on December 17th, when its workforce recorded roughly 60 positive COVID-19 cases. It's unknown exactly when the plant will return to full capacity, but the reopening began December 29th, with fabrication shifts resuming January 2nd. There were also additional positive community cases linked to the plant. Approximately 1,900 head of cattle can be processed each week. The Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan estimated the cost of producing wheat could go up to over $12.50 an acre in 2030 if the planned increases to the carbon tax proceed. The federal government announced last month that after 2022, the carbon tax would rise by $15 a ton each year until it reached $170 a ton in 2030. APAS estimated that、uh, the key indirect costs not exempt from carbon taxation, such as rail and road transportation, electricity, and grain drying, would be significant. The group plans to develop cost estimates for other crop and livestock commodities over the coming months. The federal conservatives asked the government to bring in a rapid testing pilot project for international workers that are needed in Canadian greenhouses. Shadow Minister for Agriculture Leanne Rood and Quebec MP Richard Lahoux issued a joint statement stating the current requirement that international travelers can't board a flight bound for Canada until they test negative for COVID-19 does not account for needed isolation times before these people can start working. The statement also said greenhouse vegetable workers rely on international farm workers for their growing season, and vegetable growers need workers to continue packing crops. The greenhouse growing season started on New Year's Day. 21 rural Manitoba agriculture and resource development, as well as agricultural services corporation offices, will be closing. An additional nine rural offices will remain open for employees, but close to the public. The Manitoba government launched a new rural service delivery model to modernize services. The closures will impact dozens of employees, but it isn't known if there will be layoffs, if or if all employees will be transferred to new locations. 
The closures are scheduled for April 1st. Richardson and Sons purchased one of Canada's largest trucking companies. It acquired 100% of the issued and outstanding shares of Bison Transport. Bison is a Winnipeg headquartered company with over 3,700 employees and contractors operating a fleet of 2,100 tractors and 6,000 trailers throughout North America. Financial details of the transaction will not be made public. The Saskatchewan Rural Municipalities Association issued a harsh statement criticizing political figures for traveling abroad during the pandemic. SARM President Ray Orb said such behavior is irresponsible and reckless and diminishes public trust in political leaders. Sarb said none of the SARM executive and board of directors have traveled outside Canada during the pandemic, and he encouraged everyone to follow public health measures. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.